Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. You guys, but when I have to miss or do miss, I really do miss being with you. We're looking at the book of Galatians today. It derives its title from the region of Asia Minor that today we call modern Turkey. It was called Pros Galatus. It was probably Paul's first epistle. If you remember when we studied Thessalonians, we, we talked a little bit about it being the second one and this probably being the first. It was written shortly after A.D. 49, uh, prior or after Paul had visited the uh, Jerusalem Council. And uh, you can read about that in Acts chapter 15. Paul established uh, a bunch of churches in this province. It was a Roman province. It had... Uh, earlier been settled by the Gauls, which is currently modern France. They had moved there and settled it. Uh, But the Gauls settled mostly in the northern region of Galatia, and Paul established churches in the southern region. Some of the churches he established were Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Well, there were these Jewish legalists called Judaizers in Paul's day, and they had infiltrated the churches that Paul had established And they were teaching people that faith in Christ alone was not enough to make a person right with God. According to their, uh, they wanted you to adhere to the uh, strict adherence to the Mosaic law. And that was required and so was circumcision to actually be made right with uh, with God. So Paul defends the gospel in this letter, which is very similar to Romans. The tone of this letter is astonishment. It's anger. And unlike Paul's other letters, there is no commending the churches here. Let's look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle. First of all, Paul's argument is based on the fact of whether or not he's an apostle. And right out front, Paul says, I'm an apostle. Later on in the chapter, we'll get into his defense of why he is an apostle. Not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace always precedes peace. The grace and the goodness of God will always precede peace. There, that, that is one of the traditional things that Paul puts in almost every letter. And notice Paul says in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Paul mentions that it is Christ who delivers us himself from our sins and that he has a goal to deliver us from this present evil age, this present evil world, and that it is the will of God that you be delivered. Now let's look a little bit at Paul's defense of his being an apostle. As you know, Paul persecuted the church for 10 years. He murdered Christians for 10 years. Let's look at um, verse 13. For you have heard of my conversion in the time past in the Jews' religion, how beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And I profited in the Jews' religion, above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Paul says, you know me. You know that 
I did not receive this from men because if you'll remember, I persecuted the church. He was taught under Gamaliel. He was a strict uh, Pharisee. He, He was arising in the ranks of the Pharisees, and he did well. He says, notice here that you remember these things. This is not something that I learned from men. He said, it is not of man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. Paul didn't just, in the process of those 10 years, decide, hey, maybe I shouldn't kill these guys. Maybe I should join them. It was not a change of mind but it was a revelation of Jesus Christ. And you know the story on Damascus Road, how that God struck him down. And it was not one of those things that was intellectual. It wasn't in his head. It was something that went straight to his heart. It was a heartfelt revelation from God. And he said, He profited in the Jews' religion above my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. The traditions of his fathers was the gospel was presented orally. And these oral interpretations of the gospel took on their own life. And they began to be more important to the Jews than the actual Torah. They taught things that could never be kept. It was so strict and so uh, complicated that no one could understand it or even live it. And Paul said, I exceeding." Uh, I exceeded in that. I taught that. I was in that. And, But look, he said he was more zealous of those traditions than any of the other acquaintances that he had at that time. But verse 15 says, But it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Paul is pointing out that God has called him. Notice he said God called him from the womb. Now, you might say, well, God, why didn't you call him a few years younger when he was a few years younger? Why did you let him murder Christians for 10 years and then call him? He said he called him from the womb. So if he was called from the womb to present this gospel, why did God allow him to murder Christians for 10 years? I don't know the answer to that. That's God's way. It's also proof that God didn't suddenly just become educated or enlightened in the mind and and decide to become a Christian. It's proof that this radical who murdered Christians, something dramatic happened in his heart. It wasn't, uh, you know, today we say, let's make a decision for Christ. We teach people and we teach people, but you know it can't be taught. This is a supernatural thing to be saved, to receive the grace of God, the revelation that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that he is the only way to heaven. Paul is teaching that this is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And anything we add to it, why is Paul angry in this letter? His tone is angry because if we tweak this, if we mess with this, our eternity is in danger. Where we spend eternity. If we try to add, the Bible teaches us that if we try to add to or take away from this gospel, the curses of this book will will be added to us. Paul is angry because the curse remover is being tampered with and trying uh, trying to put people back under the curse. The law is a curse. The Bible plainly teaches us that the law is a curse. Any man who's under the law is under the curse because why? Because we cannot keep the law. And it says that anybody who cannot keep the law is under the curse. So Paul's angry that these people that he's labored among, that he's taught among about Jesus are being twisted and perverted. 
But it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. Peter didn't say, hey, Paul, come over here. We want to we teach you about Jesus. James and John didn't have a, a conference and, and a Bible study. And suddenly Paul decided, you know, maybe I should join these guys. No, God separated him from the womb and called him by his grace. Verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen or the Gentiles. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither did I go, went I up to Jerusalem to them were to apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him for 15 days. You see, he didn't meet Peter, James, and John, and they decided to talk to him. said, well, let's see if we can convince this guy not to kill us. But when Paul had his, when Paul had his revelation of Jesus, he didn't confer with any man. He didn't seek those who were teaching this to see, hey, you know, I need to learn what they're teaching here so that I can teach it. He didn't do that. He went straight into Arabia for three years. And it possibly might have been as long as four years before he ever laid eyes on Peter, James, and John. Paul is establishing the fact that what he has received is directly from God. And another amazing point of it, it coincides perfectly with the gospel that Jesus had given Peter, James, and John. What are the chances of that? What are the mathematical probabilities of him coming up with the exact same stories and the same gospel? Verse 19 says, But of the other apostles I saw none save James the Lord's brother. Now Paul is wanting to make it very clear that he did not consort with other people to get this gospel. Now these things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came to the regions of Syria and Sicily and was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which are in Christ. That, But they had heard only that they, the one who had persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which we destroy. So Paul has established that he is an apostle. He's saying that this whole gospel that he's preaching, if he's not an apostle, it goes out the window. If Paul is not an apostle of God, then what he's preaching is no good. So he's established that God called him. He's established that it didn't come from Peter, James, and John or any other teacher. He didn't receive it from anyone else. He received it straight from God on the Damascus Road. When God struck him down, his heart suddenly realized this is truth. This is real. And this is where my calling is. Paul is saying here, not only did he, is he an apostle, did he not receive it from men, but that, you know, Paul was a contemporary of Jesus. We're faced with that today. We, we today stand with this letter written by a dysphoric Jew who was a contemporary of Jesus who says he saw the risen Jesus and we have to make a decision in our heart. One of three things is going to happen. We're either going to say, he's a lunatic, he's deceived, he, he, is, he is just out of his mind. Or number two, we'll say, he's a fake, he had some other motive. He did this because of some other reason, it's, it's not real. Or number three, our heart will realize that this man, this first century Jew, came face to face 
with the risen Savior. And he imparted to him this same gospel that he had taught for three years to his disciples. Our hearts must make that decision today. It's not a head decision. It's a heart decision. It's a revelation that God will receive, that you will receive God into your heart. You see, you have nothing, I have nothing of value to God. There's nothing in us that he needs. There's nothing in us attractive to him. Solely, we are, if we could just get a grasp of this, this, this powered the Reformation. Martin Luther, these scriptures empowered him and emboldened him to pull away from ceremonies, traditions. And there's two key principles in this book. One is that the scripture is supreme. It is above the pope, the priest, the preacher, the teacher, the bishop. The only thing above this written word of God is God himself. The second principle is what I just mentioned earlier. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the work of Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Nothing you or I can do can earn heaven. And anyone that teaches that, Paul is saying here, he's saying if anybody preaches any other doctrine than this, they can go to hell. That's what he's saying. We kind of tend to think Paul's some kind of little mild milk toast guy. This guy murdered Christians. He was not a mousy guy. And he's not mousy in this. He is very bold. He said, he's even saying, if an angel comes to you and preaches another gospel, let them go to hell. Let the curse of the law come down on them. That's pretty bold. Angels are way more powerful than us. I'm sure Gabriel Michael's ears pricked up when he said that. Paul is serious about this. Any other thing than what he has preached, that we are saved by the grace of God. You know, it ought to motivate us this morning to know that before we were born, God has chosen us. And he saw every stinking thing in our life. He saw every lust, every lie, every falsehood, every dirty, low-down, stinking, rotten thing we've ever done. And his son said, yes, I'll go to the cross for that. I will go to the cross for that. Later on in the chapter, Paul tells us how to walk this out in this book. But right now, that is the grace of God. That's the truth. It's not coming to church paying your tithes is going to get you to heaven. You know, sadly, hell is going to be full of good people. It really is. It's not how good you are or what you've done or how you've labored. Remember what Jesus said to those in Matthew who are going to come before me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, we've done many wonderful works in your name. Now, I don't think those guys were lying. I think they really did do a lot of things good. They maybe went to church. They maybe paid their tithes. They may have done missions work. But they had never received Christ in their heart. They thought they were earning their way to heaven by what they were doing. And it doesn't work that way. You know, if I ask Chandler to come up here, I'm going to give you 50 bucks if you can pick up that piano. Can you do it? No, you can't. But if I can't ask you to come up here and I hand you 50 bucks, what do you got to do? You just receive it, don't you?
That's the grace of God this morning. He's not asking us to lift a piano. He's not asking us to keep the Mosaic law. He's not asking us to, to do all these things. He's asking us to receive, to believe that we are now clean, that we are washed in the blood of Jesus. All our sins, past, present, future, he is the God who knows it all and forgives it all. It is for you today. This should empower you, should excite you. You should go out of here jumping this morning because you are free. You are loosed. You have no demands of performance because you know what? He has paid for it all. Now God will send his Holy Spirit and he will guide you and lead you and he will correct you. Your job is just to respond. But your debt of sin is paid for. Your ticket to heaven is paid for. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to worry about it. You're free and clear this morning because of the Son of God shed His blood. All you have to do, all you have to do is believe. Believe that He is who He said He was, that He has paid the price for your sin. That is the grace of God to the glory of God. You see, when it is such hubris, such pride, such arrogance to think that we can do something and earn our way to God. That is arrogant. Do you not see that? That we, vile creatures, that we could work or do something that would get us away into heaven. That is such arrogance. That goes back to the very original sin of human pride. Cast it aside this morning and just believe. I want to read you a little history lesson. Because as you know, uh, Paul says here, uh, before I do that, let's reverse back here for a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. Paul says in here that he's not a men pleaser. You know, when you're sold out to Christ, you're not going to be a men pleaser. He said he's not doing this to get the approval Peter, James, and John, because he went for three years without even seeing them. He didn't say, hey, is what I'm doing okay? Is this cool? Paul says he's not a man pleaser. And you know, if you are actually in God's service for God alone, for his glory alone, by faith alone, you're not going to be a man pleaser. Why am I saying that? Because a lot of pastors and a lot of preachers out there are preaching stuff that they're afraid to tell you the truth. Because they're afraid what sister so-and-so, who's a big donor in the church, might think. And she might get miffed. Or you might not send those donations into my ministry. Um, they got their eye on Facebook to see what's being said about the message or about the service. But Paul said he wasn't a men pleaser. He said that he was called by God. He was an apostle. He was called from the womb to be God's apostle. And this gospel that he received, he did not learn it from man. He was not taught it by man. It came straight from God. Now, there are a lot of folks today that are afraid to touch certain areas of things going on in our world. This gospel, to me, applies to every aspect of our life. And if a man is afraid to preach about it, he's a coward. He's a man-pleaser. And so I want to tell you a little story, a little history lesson that you probably didn't get in school. They don't teach history anymore. Of how sticking to the authentic gospel, how we can pervert it and how subtle it can be and how dramatic the change can be. 
In the 1620s, once the Bible was written and published in England, people discovered that the Church of England was not following the Bible. Um, there were all of these things where there were lords and, and uh, people of wealth and people of uh, nobility. They were favored highly above the commoners. And when the commoners got to reading the Bible, they knew, they found that God is not a respecter of persons. He is not. Paul tells us that. So they decided to separate from the Church of England. There were two groups. There were the Puritans who thought they could stay in the church and purify the church and, and get back to the solid things that Paul's teaching here of grace, faith, God alone, the work of Christ alone. But there were others who wanted to separate. They thought it was too corrupt that they could not be a part of it, so they wanted to start their own New Testament congregations. And the two groups were the Puritans and the Pilgrims. And because of persecution, they left England, went to Holland for a while and tried to make it there. Things didn't work out good for them there, so they went back to England. They were still persecuted there, um, so they decided to come to the New World. This is in 1620. And you know the story, maybe you know the story of the Pilgrims and the Mayflower. So they sold everything they had and they borrowed money to get these two ships to sail from Plymouth, England to sail to the New World. On the first excursion, they got out three days and one of the ships started leaking. So they had to turn around and go back. Well, at that point, they might have said, you know, maybe God's not in this thing. You know, our ship's sinking. But they kept the faith. They, they reduced their numbers to, uh, I think it was 102 people. And they set sail again. And though normally people didn't sail the, the Atlantic that time of year because it was late in the fall because of the winter storms, but they were so determined to come to America to get the freedom to worship this God who had given everything to them that they sailed anyway. And they, they, they were 102 people, not counting the, the seamen who were the, the captain and the crew of the ship. There were 102 people living in a, in a space of 65 feet by 25 feet with a five-foot ceiling. Very cramped, no privacy, uh, no time alone. And you might think with all the storms and stuff that they went through that these were probably going to be very upset, worried, distressed, and and people in turmoil, but William Bradford records in his journal that they were a joyful people and that the sailors mocked them because they spent their time singing and praising God. Mm. Isn't that powerful? You see, their eyes were, they didn't just have a head knowledge here. There was something in their heart. And they realized it wasn't about them. They realized that it was about our risen Savior. So they were supposed to land in Hudson Bay, but they were blown off course. I think it was like 150 miles, and they landed in what's now Plymouth, Massachusetts. And the interesting thing about that is if they had landed where they were supposed to, there were hostile Indians there. Can I say Indians? Do I have to say politically correct, Aborigines or whatever? No, there were Indians there, and they would have killed them. So they landed at this spot, and they tried sailing south three times to get to their original destination and the winds just did not cooperate they couldn't get going out of the bay so they decided hmm, this must be god's will for us and so uh, they had to land 
at the Hudson Bay, uh, or they didn't land at the Hudson Bay, they landed at Plymouth, Massachusetts. It was interesting, they composed the Mayflower Compact before they uh, off-boarded to govern themselves because they wanted, uh, they knew that if man was in charge, it could get corrupted. So they came up with the Mayflower Compact, which our Constitution was kind of, follows that same guidelines that it, it limits the power of those in control and, and basically is power of the people, by the people sort of thing. It was based on biblical principles that men were created by God and their rights didn't come from government, their rights don't come from kings, their rights don't come from politicians. Our rights come from God alone. And so they limited this governmental power and agreed to abide by, abide by it, and they all signed it. It was similar to the U.S. Constitution. Well, what's interesting, once they got off-boarded and on land, they found 20 acres already cultivated and cleared with four fresh water springs <clears throat> completely uninhabited. Nobody there. Nobody around for miles. 20 acres completely cultivated, four fresh water springs. What had happened, the tribe that had lived there previously was the Patuxic tribe, and they had died of the plague. And so all the local Indians felt the ground was cursed and wouldn't come near it. You see God's hand here somewhere? Are you getting the picture? So the first winter was really rough on these guys. Um they, they spent the winter there, and that first winter, I think 47 of the 102 died because of the not being really that well prepared for it. When spring came, the Mayflower captain and the crew decided it was time to go back to England, and they offered free passage to any of the pilgrims who wanted to go. You know how many took the offer? None. Zero. They didn't go, even after losing all those friends and family. A few days after the Mayflower left and set sail, another coincidence, an English-speaking Indian named Samoset walked into their camp, and he happened to like white people. Bradford and the pilgrims considered this an act of God. And then Samoset introduced the Indians to another Indian named Squanto who took them under his wing. He taught them how to fish, how to hunt beaver, how to make pelts and make clothing to keep warm. And he taught them which crops they could plant and how to plant them and fertilize them and grow them. That was the founding of America. That was God's hand on this nation. And it was all about grace. Recently, January... In 2021, I think it was, Democratic Missouri Representative Emanuel Cleaver, who says he's a pastor, recited the opening prayer on the first day of the 117th Congress. The prayer began with a hint of hope for decreased political um, division, but towards the end of the prayer, he calls on the Hindu god Brahma for peace across the land. I'll read it to you. Here's it, here it is, and I quote, the God who created the world and everything in it, bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace in our families. Peace across this land, and dare I say, O oh Lord, peace even to this chamber. 
Now and evermore, we ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and the God known by many names and by many faiths. How many people would know that that is so false? This guy's ignorant, first of all. Brahma is not a monotheistic God. There's only one monotheistic God, and his name is Yahweh. There's only one. The country that was founded and moved by God has come to this point. Why? Because we've been preached another gospel that is not a gospel at all. Remember what Oprah said? Oh, there's many ways to heaven. Paul would tell Oprah, go to hell. That's what he'd tell her. When the Book of Mormon came out, it was supposedly delivered by the angel Moroni. I don't know if you know about the Mormons. Supposedly, he delivered the Book of Mormon. You know what Paul would tell Moroni? Go to hell. There is no other gospel than this. Joseph Smith and Moroni, Paul would condemn to everlasting torment because they are perverting and trying to change the gospel. Same for the leader of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, same for all these other cults. Same for anyone who changes this gospel. But this guy was so dumb that led this prayer, he didn't even know what he was doing. But then, to be politically correct at the end of it, when he said amen, he said amen and a woman. That's how retarded this guy was and how deceived. And these people are in our government. We've gone from a nation founded on the one true God to a nation that believes most anything. Well, what do you have to decide this morning? You have to decide if this first century Jew was a nut, was he a fake, or did he encounter God? How about it this morning? Nothing you can do, no way to earn it. I want to, you know, it's so simple, people stumble over it. I want to read what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. You see, that's almost too simple, isn't it? It is so simple. Jesus said even a child could enter in. It's so simple this morning because you know what man wants to do? Man wants to add rules, regulations, and legalism because we feel like we just got to... It's that self-centered pride thing. But Jesus said, come to me. Just come to me. My yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. Come as you are, that old song in the Billy Graham Crusades. Just as I am with that one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Can we get, a, get that in our hearts this morning? God does not require you to change. He didn't say, Paul, I want you to quit murdering Christians. I want you to go and sit under the, some teachers and, and learn this thing. No. He revealed himself directly to his heart. And this morning, God wants to reveal himself directly to your heart this morning. He wants you to know everything you've ever done has been forgiven if you just believe, if you accept his son as the Lord of your life. 
And then He will send His Spirit into your heart and teach you how to be His disciple. Let's stand this morning. Pastor Bill, would you dismiss us with prayer?